This April, the Moonshot Podcast Network is doing something new, unparalleled, something nobody has done before. We're asking you for money. This month is the first ever Moonshot Patreon drive. Between April 1st and 30th, we're hoping to bring in 30 new and upgrading patrons to patreon.com slash moonshotnetwork. That's one per day. The money we make on Patreon is what helps our podcasters get things like new mics, show art, and music. It also helps us put on our bigger streaming events, advertise our shows, and think even bigger. If you know us, you know we like to think bigger. Join the Patreon in April and you'll get a bunch of drive-exclusive new podcasts, including actual plays, improv comedy, and a roundtable show with some of the hosts of our book talk shows like Three Little Words and Kahooligans. $5 Patreons get to join us for a game night on our Minecraft server on April 7th where we take down the Ender Dragon together. You hate that guy, so do we. Help us kill him. You'll also get access to all of our usual monthly output like Once Missed Wonders, early episodes of Champs in the Making, and more. So please join us or upgrade with us today on Patreon for $1, $3, or $5 at patreon.com slash Moonshot Network. Visit us on Patreon or at Moonshot Pods on Twitter for more details about the drive. Patreon.com slash Moonshot Network. And welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're continuing The House of Hades. How are you today, Jane? I, I've, I've experienced pain and suffering and agony today. Have truly, you? Truly one of the worst things that can happen to someone who likes to build plastic robots. Oh? I was I was building my little, my little real grade force impulse earlier. Oh, no. Um, and when I tried to snap, uh, when I tried to like snip the V fin off the runner, uh, only half of it came off. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. So, it's fucked. <laughs> I've Jane. glued it back on, but it's very delicate and it just kind of falls off again randomly. I'm really sorry. That's a real grade too. It's a real grade. They should make those things tougher, not weaker. They should make them tougher or give you a spare at least if they're going to make yeah. it the really brittle plastic. Yeah. Oh, God. I'm so sorry. That's horrible. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to just try and like trim down the other side of the V-fin to get it symmetrical. That should hopefully mm-hmm. work. Yeah. Anyway. You can you can market it as like, here's my custom Gundam. <laughs> Listen, any, any parts that you damage while building it, that's battle damage. That's right. That's right. How are you, Jacqueline? I'm doing good. I baked cupcakes last night. You did. I there. I, I tried doing this like a week ago, and they came out like really bad because I made I did a flower oopsie. Mm-hmm. Um, but this time I did it so well. Uh, I put in the exact right amount of flour. They came out so good. I made the delicious like chocolate fudge buttercream frosting, and it was delicious. We have like six of them left, I think, and I'm so excited to just. I don't know. It feels good to bake things, you know? Yeah. Cooking cooking is good for the soul, I know. Definitely. Well, speaking of cooking... No, we've left Damascus' house. <laughs> uh, well, Rick Riordan might be cooking uh, with these chapters of the House of Hades. I almost said these chapters of Unwise Girls. That's not how that works. <laughs> 
Uh, Rick Ryden's actually writing the script for us, which is why he's my favorite author ever ever to do a thing. He really is so smart and cool and handsome. Uh, <laughs> and I imagine if we got so popular that like we eclipsed the popularity of the original series. And so all the books were sold as like the unwise <laughs> girls present like as featured on hit podcast series on wise girls. Really good. I, I hope that happens one day, maybe. Uh, but Jane, how about you hit us with those summaries for today? Chapter 45, Percy. While Percy is no longer poisoned, the continuing trek through Tartarus is still shit for him and Annabeth, who's really broken up about failing to get Damasin to come with them. They cheer one another up by reminiscing about their date from the end of Staff of Hermes, before Annabeth tells Percy that she'd like to go on a date with him to New Rome, saying she'd be fine there as long as he was around. This is pretty huge with regards to Percy's future plans, but the happy moment doesn't last for long, as they come across the woman Bob said could help them, Aklas, the goddess of misery. Chapter 46, Percy. Aklas is, predictably, not a barrel of laughs, and just kind of whines when Bob asks her to use a death mist to hide Percy and Annabeth, killing the vibe in the process and making the demigods miserable. Eventually, she's goaded into helping by Annabeth negging her, while Percy argues that helping them is guaranteed to cause more misery, because either they die helplessly, or succeed and piss off all the monsters who are using the doors of death. Aklas warns them that the death mist is, you know, death-related, and they have to be almost dead for it to work. She beckons them to follow, but Bob can't come with them, disappearing and leaving the demigods alone. Chapter 47, Percy. Aklas takes them to the border between Tartarus and Primordial Chaos, which just being close to is enough to sap the life from Percy and Annabeth. They dissolve into mist, although to one another they look like walking corpses. Then, Aklas reveals the shocking twist that this was all a trap and she was always going to betray them, which surprises neither Percy nor Annabeth. Apparently, she's brought them here to sacrifice them to someone, so the pair square up for a fight. Chapter 48, Percy. Unfortunately, being a cloud means you can't really hit anyone, and if your opponent is a goddess, she can bend the rules and hit you anyway. Percy and Annabeth get their asses kicked, until Percy figures out that complimenting the goddess of misery gets under her skin, and takes her attention off Annabeth. Unfortunately, really pissing Aklas off means really pissing her off, and she surrounds Percy with liquid poison, with fumes that make him feel really dizzy and out of it. As he's just on the verge of passing out into the poison and dying, he realises that the poison is a liquid, and in a moment of desperation manages to pull on his powers to manipulate it, pushing it away from him and into Aklas. This is so painful for Aklas that she starts to cry, and Percy is so delirious and angry that he blocks her windpipe with her own phlegm and tears. He only stops when Annabeth begs him to, clearly terrified of him in that moment, and spares the goddess, instead telling her to leave. Aklas does so, leaving the demigods alone, right as someone else rises from the pit of primordial chaos. Night, with a capital N, the person they were going to be sacrificed to. Chapter 49, Leo. Leo finds himself plummeting towards an unfamiliar ocean, which not only has no Argo, but no land at all besides a single island on the horizon. Using the Archimedes sphere and his magic tool belt, he MacGyves an incredibly shitty backpack helicopter that manages to direct his course enough that when it explodes, he lands on the island. The flaming wreckage unfortunately destroys some furniture that was laid out on the beach, and the owner comes out to complain. It's Calypso, still stuck on this goddamn island after all this time. Things get off to a good start between the two as they bicker about the blown up table, and Calypso immediately tries to kick Leo off the island, dragging him to the beach where Percy left in Battle of the Labyrinth. Unfortunately, Leo saying he doesn't he wants to leave doesn't work, as no magic raft shows up to take him away. He's stuck here. 
Chapter 50, Leo. Things calm down and Leo gets filled, on, filled in on who Calypso is, how the island works, and her history with Percy. She repeatedly insults him by comparing him unfavourably to previous demigods who've shown up on the island, and Leo thinks a little resentfully that if Jason were here, Calypso would be all over him. So, Jacqueline, what do you think of these chapters? Rick Riordan, what is he doing? What, what's his game here? <laughs> He's done it again, folks. Rick Riordan has taken us to task, taken us to task this time, uh, and really slipped the wool, wool under our rugs. He wrote House of Hades in the title of this book. I, I'm, I'm peeling it off. I, this is just the Vow of the Labyrinth. <laughs> What what makes you say this? Gee, Jane, I don't know. Uh, like, let, let's let me count. The Calypso the ways. being here doesn't mean it's just Battle of the Labyrinth again. Okay, <laughs> this is true, but we do know there is going to be a labyrinth at the end of this book. That's true, actually. There is going to be a labyrinth, and we we were on a we co we I guessed it. Uh, uh, this definitely isn't out yet, I don't think, but we guessed it on an episode of uh, the podcast of the Eldest Gods. And we we were featured in there for a chapter of Battle of the Labyrinth, and I heard a I heard a funny name come up that boy howdy have we been wondering about for this entire book? You did? Yeah, I did. Uh, when in discussing the uh, the myth of I think Minos and uh, all those guys. Hmm. I I I believe it was brought up, and I'm not going to look this up further, but I I am going to bring it up a little bit because it, it it's on our consciousness now. Uh, not mine. mine. <laughs> Maybe somewhere deep in your brain, you know it. Pacify came up as I think the lady that fucked the bull. That's a hell of a way to remind me of that, that being the thing. I was reminded through that experience that I think she's the Minotaur's mom. Maybe. Ah, okay. I mean, there's nothing else to call her, you know. Uh, so I, I think we are. Rick Riordan really is just real doing the thing where he is. Each each book sort of mirrors, at least in some respects, the original five books. Does it, or have we had like Sea of Monsters three times? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> it's nice to get a fucking sequel to a different original PGO book, one of the good ones. <laughs> uh, what did you think of these chapters, Jane? I thought these were really good. I I enjoyed Percy's weird little adventures. I really enjoyed getting to see Calypso again and Leo continuing to be Leo. He's Leo. <laughs> I when do you want to start with these? Ah, uh, we can start with Percy, our, our good our good good bean Percy. A very good bean who doesn't do anything dark-sided in these chapters. I wrote the word dark-sided on <laughs> fucking in my notes. That's what he does. Uh I Okay, so we we figure out in these chapters that uh, we we were a bit wrong and a bit right uh, when it comes to Nick's showing up. I think Nick mm -hmm. does show up at the end of these. Uh, this is Nick's, yeah. The actual person who uh, Bob took them to meet was just a woman named Aklas, who is maybe the world's most fucked up woman. <laughs> uh, just truly, Rick Riordan is like lavishing in these descriptions of how much he's suffering. It's kind of amazing. She's she's covered in bruises and scabs. She's got blood all over her. She's constantly crying, even though her eyes look like dry in a really uncomfortable way. You can tell she has like that constant like migraine shadow you get, like migraine aura you get when you cry like for an hour. <laughs> and like 
she's always scratching at herself. I Rick Riordan, if we ever we we rarely accuse him of misogyny. I, I've got some notes in here where I accuse him of misogyny. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't come up that much. Uh, uh-huh. But he's basically like, all right, let me let me just sort of prepare for any criticism I get of that. I'm going to make it so all of the suffering of all the women in the world go to this one woman. <laughs> so you yeah. think this is a this is a ones who walk away from Amala situation where like everyone else is fine and she's just fucked up. Yes, a, a little bit. <laughs> Obviously, this is not the case, but I mean, she even has the fucking Piper thing. She has the item that she stares at that causes her psychic damage, and it's her own face. <laughs> it's infinite her own face as well. Yeah. So it's a shield with a picture of her holding a shield with a picture of her holding a shield. Also, I think it's very funny that some of Hercules' trash has ended up here. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's just another thing to make her suffer, right? Oh man, this th- nobody fucking knows who Aklas is, right? But everyone knows Hercules, the guy who was like, "Damn, this bitch is so ugly that I have to put her face on a shield." <laughs> that's like a really interesting common thing in Greek mythology. Like, let's let's put a fucked up woman on a shield. That that's weird, but it's weird that it's happened twice. Yeah. 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 <laughs> If this podcast is here for anything, it's for me to say, like, oh, a thing has happened twice, that means something really significant. <laughs> you know what else has happened twice? What? A female goddess has been like, hey, I'm one of the oldest gods going. I'm way older than, for example, most of the Olympians, including the big three. Every week, a half-blood child of the eldest gods sounds more and more like horseshit because Hades, Zeus, and Poseidon are not. Yeah, yeah, like... Is she a... I guess she's a god, right? Actually, she she says that she's a god. Yeah, she says she's a god. It's so weird. The terminology is, like, confusing to me. Because, like, I would be like, oh, is she a titan, right? You know? Mm-hmm. But then we, then we get into the whole thing we were talking about with, like, the different branches of the Gaia family tree and how, like, some of them are titans, some of them are giants, some of them are gods. Yeah, like, Gaia predates the Olympians and she's still a god. Yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, yeah, but I wonder if the the Aklas demigods, if they exist, <laughs> God forbid. <laughs> you Maybe, think Aklas is like, getting any action? I don't know. Just like <laughs> she's only able to find like the world's worst pussy. Is my assumption. <laughs> That's part of the misery. Yeah. <laughs> I have to imagine that there's, like, one kid of Aklas out there who's just, like, having, like, a terrible... You know that book that's, like, oh, the, the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day? That was a son of Aklas. Uh, some, sometimes you wonder if Percy might actually be a child of Aklas. Yeah. Considering how much of a fucking nightmare his life is. God, yeah. Uh, speaking Speaking of Percy's life being horrible, I one, one of the very very charmingly, like old guy writing in the early 2010s parts of these chapters is like when Percy realizes that Atlas can hit him even though he's a smoke cloud and he imagines the the Olympians looking down at him and saying lol noob the amount of times that like leet speak or like lol, <laughs> like like acronyms like that have been used in 
And even like, even like saying that sentence I just said makes me feel like an old person. <laughs> I, like I'm sure that any like this fucking if there's like a 17 year old listening to this, they'd be like lol noob also at me. I but <laughs> I. It, Although because these days you would just replace it with lol lamau. Yeah, but <laughs> it's always charming, right? It's always charming. It's always charming, except for the Rufflecopter thing. That was too far, I think. It was okay at first, but then it kept going. It kept going. Also, it was a joke about vegans, which is well-trod territory for old guys writing books. Truly. Uh, Annabeth is not having a great time, but, I mean, it. this is interesting, because we... She made her big, like, super inspirational sort of pull at the end of the last chapter. Like, we saw, we, we saw her. Like, she was she she he was going for it super hard. She was, like, inspiring. She was pouring out all of her hopes and dreams. And then it just, like, didn't work. Yeah, the giant was just like, nah, I like my swamp. And she's taking that pretty hard. I mean, you would. You would, yeah. I just, I like that we get to see Annabeth, um... I don't know, like, she's she's crying, you know, she's having a, she's sad because, like, her big plan didn't work, and we, I'm, I'm glad that we're finally getting to see her vulnerable, too, you know? Yeah, Annabeth is very much a, like, she's a character who's mostly, like, very bloody-minded, and even, even when we've seen her crying in the past, it's usually because she's pissed off by something, but, like, it's, it's pretty fitting for the chat where we meet the goddess of despair that it seems like she's kind of just hopeless at this point. yeah. I thought the uh, the moment when they like walk out of the like darkness and enter like Atlas's fucking AOE was very like and like instantly Percy just was like like on the verge. Uh, I thought that was really effective. Mm-hmm. He immediately forgets what he was doing, like when you lose twenty minutes of your life doom scrolling on Twitter or something. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I have a question. Uh huh. And it's, it might be a bit of a dumb question. It might be something that's been answered and I've just forgotten. Sure. Why are we closing the Doors of Death? Doors of Death are currently being controlled by Gaia to make it so that the... Wait. Because the monsters are dying again. Thanatos was released at the end of Son of Neptune and like the climax of that book is we can kill the monsters again. And that doesn't seem to have changed. All the ones that fucking Frank killed in Venice stay dead. There has to be an answer to this. There has to be I, an I'm I must have just missed something, but I swear I can't remember the reason why we're doing this. Is it just because of the prophecy? Might just be the prophecy. <laughs> Foes bear arms to the doors of death. I that might be it. I I I'm I'm imagining a few things. The first let me see here. I, I I'm gonna consult the wiki, uh just for the books we've read. Uh-huh. Uh okay. Maybe they, like, don't come back instantly, but they come back slightly faster than they did before. I don't know. Right. Oh, okay. Okay. This is this is something we forgot a little bit uh, at the Mark of Athena. Okay. Um, Nico tells them uh, that Gaia has her most powerful forces on both sides of the doorway, so he can't actually, like... He can bring monsters back to Tartarus, but he can't, like, stop them or close the doors himself. So I, I think he hasn't fully gotten control back. Right, okay. I guess it would just be nice if we, like, saw that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. 
like we we are still seeing like mortal people come back a little bit right uh but not quite as much mm-hmm. uh and so I, it does feel like it it feels like the we've gotten a little wobbly with like the stakes like okay we're going here because we're going here at this point yeah we're going here because there's like eight different prophesized encounters down here for the the kids to do yeah i mean they're gonna it's like you know when you like you know when you have your to-do list and you manage to just check off like eight things in a, in a row because mm-hmm. like you they all sort of relied on each other that's what this is i see i see it, it's gonna feel real good when they come out of this and then they're gonna like check off one thing tomorrow and it's just gonna be like shower you know that's an accomplishment <laughs> too but it's it, it's a slightly different feeling Percy and Annabeth probably need a shower. Almost certainly, right? <laughs> I, they can't like they can't bathe in the river of fire. They can't bathe in the river of fire, and the only liquid that Percy seems to be manipulating at the minute is poison, and I wouldn't recommend showering in that. We've got to talk about this. This is so good. <laughs> okay, here's a question. This book was published. Let me see. Uh this book was published in 2013 google Uh searching as we speak avatar the last airbender (laughs) uh this series ran until 2008 rick riordan probably saw this because he has kids uh this is just a rip from the bloodbending episode right it's a bit (laughs) bloodbending i not to not to fully accuse him or anything but it like this is a thing this is a common thing but like this is fucked up this is fucked up this is like this does something really interesting i think Mm -hmm. which is like i feel like this is maybe the first time maybe well we maybe saw a bit of it in last olympian this feels like the first time we've seen like some emphasis put on like the god part of demigod where like percy at, at this moment seems to like unlock like a deeper version of his power which is like he has a very narrow band of influence over like the ocean and water, but that involves manipulating like slightly more fundamental forces. And it kind of feels like what's happening here is that he's figuring out how to use those to go outside of his like prescribed domain. And it makes him fucking terrifying. Yeah, right? Like he's he's kind of doing the Hazel thing that Hazel did before. Mm. Like this is a book that's all about people or Piper too. This is ability. This is a book that's all about people like transcending their previous limits. But Percy is doing it in a way that is, uh, like I mean, you said it. It's it's really scary. He it's not just the poison either, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he he like he sees her crying and like floods her. He like like forces the tears into her mouth or something like that. Like down her neck, like like back into her basically he stops her breathing he stops her breathing he chokes her right uh which i i'm just imagining her like drowning without being actually around water (laughs) the most fucked up way to drown it is it is it reminds me of um i've talked about the fucking my my classic reference point for this kind of thing is uh, a character from charlie bone who is like Uh He's a water manipulator, kind of, but actually the power that he stayed to have is that he can drown people. Uh, <laughs> and I'm, this is this is what Percy is tapping into, and this isn't coming from nowhere, is it? Like, no, we. I mean, we were like, Percy was kind of 
verging on being a little bit dark-sided so much in recent weeks that we were like, is he full of Luke particles? Is Luke, in fact, possessing him or something? Right. It definitely feels like that shit boiling over. It does. And I'm... To be honest, I didn't think it was going to go this far. Like, I didn't think that Percy is... Not integrity, but, like, his heroism would get, like, put to the test, I guess, as much Mm. as, as it is here. Uh, this is really, this isn't just a low point for, like, Annabeth and Percy are suffering. This is a low point for, like, they are doing things that are fucked up. Like, the the vibe I very much get is that if Annabeth hadn't been here and told him to stop, Percy would have just killed this person. Yeah, I completely agree. He would have killed, a, this would, Percy racking up the god kills. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious, what do you think of Annabeth's, like, reaction here? Uh, I, I, I feel for her. No, definitely. She's horrified, right? Like she's, yeah, she's fucked up about this because it's been a hot minute since we've seen like scary Percy. Like we got that when he was like immortal in last Olympian and that was it. He's been pretty chilled out for four books and then he comes back and it clearly like scares the piss out of Annabeth. Especially because this is the most like tenuous situation where that's happened, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like, he he's doing something scary that like Percy could have done this and he could have decided and he could have been like, all right, I'm going to evaporate the poison. I'm going to push it away. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's not what he does. That would just like, create poison gas. Th- this is true. Uh, but <laughs> I don't know. He can probably like control water molecules too in this moment. Right. Probably. <laughs> and Annabeth is, I mean, t- this is not something she sees Percy do. Like she, he is, we talked about like oh our uwu soft boy Percy, uh, <laughs> but, but he is just kind of a casual chill dude. Uh, yeah. Like, and that is part of why of like we get in these chapters like they're talking about their futures together. They are riding together on this like spark of love, uh, and it almost feels like that's not like that's not getting water splashed on it to use a kind of uh, <laughs> overly overly direct turn of phrase but it's 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 being reminded that Percy is just like a human being who can be really fucked up I guess and uh, yeah this is a, this is a kind of a, a reminder that Percy did seriously contemplate killing his stepdad yeah <laughs> like he he has this in him and I can I I like that he is like this is kind of what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago with like um the the evil demon ladies giving him kind of a reality check on some of the bad shit he's done. Where it's like, yeah, no, he's he's not like a paragon, he is like a good person but flawed. And this is looking at like a broader trend of like I guess young adult media, like young adult books. This is not super uncommon to have happen mm-hmm. uh, like this this happens in like your you get to you get to, you get to question your pro- protagonist morality and like your your hunger games your fucking harry potters probably so nah, that's cool that he owns a slave I, I, you're right actually in, in harry potter you very much do think that's cool he owns a slave <laughs> um but so i don't know i, I actually think that i i like that this i, I really like this is happening i'm curious I hope it doesn't just get dropped, I guess. I hope this doesn't end up getting conflated with him being like, fuck the gods. 
hopefully i don't i those seem distinct enough that i don't think that would happen but also it could be a part where it's like oh i've been having all of these dark thoughts including the idea that maybe the hierarchy of olympus needs to be overthrown exactly that's what i'm that's what i'm worried about i'm hoping that's not where it's going yeah a little thing that also that i enjoy here is just that like at the beginning of the fight uh first of all i like the little bit of scary monster horror we get with uh uh yeah Aklas transforming into a fucked up little beast uh and i like um i like percy noting that annabeth is just like a better technical fighter than he is yeah uh and but we we don't it's not just that because we also get to see where percy shines like a uh we he goes in with like the taunting and stuff like that and annabeth can't really keep up like he's like hey (laughs) he calls starts calling her like hey happy snuggly uh charming and annabeth just like doesn't quite have the sauce <laughs> the thing the cool thing the funny thing about um um Aklis is that she is like she is one of those people who like if you if you compliment her she will like physically attack you uh-huh like uh like friend of the show vera who did our art who does incredibly good podcast cover art no matter what she says it's true <laughs> i uh and I, I feel like you could also, like, this could be criticized for, like, Annabeth and Percy solve a problem by doing the same thing that they always do, which is, like, doing some reverse psychology. <laughs> Listen, if it ain't broke. Yes, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Apparently all figures from Greek mythology are idiots. Basically, right? Also, we get a Hercules Disney moment. We do? That's I, that's very much how I read the scene with them, like at the edge of uh, night and the void of chaos, where like they are both just like unable to live, and it it reads very much as like the scene in Hercules where, like Hercules is has to jump into the fucking death pool. Oh yeah, yeah I can see that. I was too I was too distracted by thinking about Chaos from Hades to consider that, but you're right. Chaos from Hades is really good. I how prior how primordial are we gonna get? I wonder. I'm not I'm not sure because it feels like if we're gonna get into too much primordial chaos stuff, I'd rather we didn't right now. I feel like Rick needs to um, pace the primordial existential stuff because we already have that with Tartarus. Yeah, we do because you bring out we're bringing out night already, and if we bring mm-hmm. out chaos too they'd be like okay are we about to like call tartarus's parents on him like is that, <laughs> is that what's gonna happen is gaia gonna get a spanking all right i'm i'm reversing i'm reversing my usual deal where i'm like oh my god it's chronos it would be very funny if chaos was apophis because <laughs> oh, that's that what he really is good. he's the chaos god i mean yeah that's true oh n- n- no okay this is a, or at least that's is, how he's defined in Kane Chronicles. Okay, yes, you you remember my fucking little thing. Yes, uh, <laughs> yes, you're right. In Kane Chronicles, that is true. It's interesting comparing this to Kane Chronicles because that book series, just because sort of by dint of like different flavors of mythology, slightly, uh, it got a bit, it got a lot more primordial a lot quicker. Uh, yeah, definitely. Like I'm thinking about the uh, the entire scene with Nut and. Um, whatever the earth's name is oh i don't remember either but that like that was really that was some good stuff uh that 
is kind of, it feels like we're kind of just getting to with like Tartarus here. Yeah. Or well, like, I mean, this, this feels like a fairly direct parallel to the bit in um, Serpent Shadow where they have to like, they have to go out on that big pier that um, has a lighthouse on it or something that's driving off like a big sea of primordial chaos. Yeah. And they have to yeah, go right absolutely. to it. And it keeps happening. <laughs> it's true. I wonder, I wonder how chaos would be depicted here. I, it, it's hmm. because it's a big it's a big question hopefully a cool gray envy i mean hopefully right <laughs> uh, but uh there is a mode that exists in that exists more in kane chronicles than it does here uh which is the re- like the resistance of anthrop- anthropomorphization uh where mm-hmm. pretty much any entity or god or anything like that can be made into a human uh in in the percy jackson series yeah and even like the most primordial deities can still just be a person that's walking around i'm like and i'm wondering like will that just be consistently true or will we ever get a moment where percy is like like maybe tartarus is the limit with that right like or maybe Mm -hmm. tartarus is definitely the the furthest we strayed from that yeah so i i guess um this isn't me like making a point exactly more just like being like i wonder where that will go for the future yeah definitely hey speaking of tartarus mm-hmm. once again we are punished for our hubris uh-huh once again rick ryden has incorporated smelly feet into a chapter oh that's God. where all of all of this takes place on tartarus's big smelly foot <laughs> yeah no you're right i thought this was good um this was actually really good imagery, though, I think. Uh, like, just imagining Tartarus as, like, this huge guy standing up, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, we have... The, the metaphor has been pretty consistent. And the fact that we've gotten to, like, here we are at his feet. What the fuck is below Tartarus? Uh, who knows? Like, I, I think that worked pretty well. Yeah, definitely. Do we want to talk about uh, the Leo chapters? Or do you have more to say about Percy here? Oh, uh, I also just wanted to mention that um, Rick Ryden is officially... His teacher is showing in these chapters, I think. Just because mm-hmm. uh, we, we are once again being asked to do homework. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking Staff of Hermes is what we're, we're down to referencing now. <laughs> the the most filler... It's a good story, but it is the most filler short story in any of those collections, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> It's really funny because I, I do think that was a good short story because I think that was one of our favorites in that one, if I remember right. Yeah. But it's him, Percy being like, of course, our, our date in Paris, definitely something that would leave most viewers like, what the, what, what, what are you saying? <laughs> yeah. If you, if you haven't read the short story collections, none of these chapters are going to make any fucking sense. Uh, I, I think they, I do think they mostly work at like the, the Paris reference isn't like huge, right? They probably, yeah, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little. But Bob, Bob is pretty integral and I think it just hits better if you read that for sure. Absolutely. No, I don't think I have anything substantial about these chapters, you? I don't think so. Let's, let's, let's move on for, to Leo. Mm-hmm. Leo is engaging in um, one of one of the most honored, time honored pastimes of Heroes of Olympus characters, especially if you're from the Lost Hero. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Which is being knocked unconscious and then waking up while you're falling. <laughs> he 
he even fucking says it here like at the beginning of chapter 49 he's like leo's it's like leo's pretty sure that he spends more time crashing than he does actually flying <laughs> he spends more time crashing he falls off his dragon constantly jason fucking fell off the boat earlier this book and went unconscious uh yeah jason like like in a dream basically got kicked off of a cliff too uh, <laughs> i guess no he actually did get kicked off that cliff actually but he just flew back too yeah uh, but he he i just love this opening scene him him jury rigging a fucking doohickey in midair <laughs> it's so cool big leo moment for sure it's the best kind of doohickey the kind that explodes it does explode. God, okay. <laughs> if, okay. We, Battle of the Labyrinth, chapter fucking, what was it, 12? Yeah. That was a, the tone of that was, it was serene, it was melancholy, it was, you know, bittersweet, mm. um, it was sad, uh, it was heartfelt. Um, all of that versus the absolute calamity. <laughs> the fucking cartoon character entrance of Leo onto Ojijia. His The first impression he makes on Calypso is exploding her furniture. Yeah. She has to fucking... Because she immediately decides she wants to get rid of him and she has to like drag him out of the crater he made to take him to the beach. <laughs> Their dynamic is really funny. Uh... <laughs> And it's like something is happening here, which is that like uh, it's really nice to see Calypso again. Obviously, you know we're always talking about her, but uh-huh. she she's really mad in these chapters. Not just because of like the big reason of like she fucking didn't get taken off the island like Percy was gonna make happen, mm-hmm. but also because fucking leo valdez just landed on her island and you know what it means when someone lands on her island and she's like okay i guess i have to fall in love with this fucking guy now (laughs) i love that like you know every time she's had to say goodbye to someone before it's really bittersweet she wants them to stay but they can't and they have to like sail off into the night and the one fucking time where she's like, no, get out, go away, I hate you. And the guy is like, yep, sure, I'm going. It doesn't work. The one time she's stuck with a demigod and it's one that she doesn't like. It's really good. <laughs> Leo is such a belligerent little shitbag, I love him. He's like Sundar, right? Eh? Because <laughs> he's like, he's doing the, aw, this girl is so stupid, I hate her. Like she's smelly and she's so pretty, but I don't care. Uh, he does. He does comment on how she smells. Actually, that that is true. She smells so good, and I I don't give a shit about that. I I hate when <laughs> girls smell good. <laughs> and like she's kind of doing the same thing a little. She's sitting her in a different way, uh, which is just no. I she think. Doesn't- uh-huh. I think this might be the 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 legendary not a sundere, just a girl who actually doesn't like you. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh I, I more so because assuming the legend or like the curse holds up she will eventually become girl who likes him i don't know i don't know if that if that will hold up because i thought the whole deal with that was like the gods toss her like uh, a demigod who they think is like worthy and noble but will have to leave and she'll fall in love with 
And it wasn't the god that sent Leo here. He got fucking deleted to the Calypso dimension by Kaio just to get him out of the way. I guess they... Maybe the curse doesn't specify which gods are able to do it. So, like, it's okay if it's the god of the snow. (laughs) No, I, I agree with you. Like, there are a lot of patterns being broken here because the three people she names as, like, this has happened before are Percy, who was, like, fucking three years ago at most uh not that was even like a long. year ago yeah it was like a year ago a lot's happened but yeah <laughs> uh it's before that it was like F- francis drake apparently which interesting uh i kind of weird um and then <laughs> and that was like a few hundred years ago and then we had odysseus given- uh-huh I've given up on Googling the names of historical figures that get name dropped as demigods. I just assume they had something to do with genocide until proven otherwise. We've been watching Black Sails. You don't know about Sir Francis Drake, the pirate? <laughs> that's that's pre-Black Sails. Wait, it is. That's like Elizabethan era. Is that true? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's pretty old. Uh, but, however... However... Okay, so this was like 500 years ago. Uh-huh. And then we get to like... Odysseus, who was like thousands of years ago, uh, but like she's got pretty big time gaps in between. I have to assume that there's like more in there. At least like one three... she doesn't care about as much. <laughs> three doesn't feel like a lot. That feels like at that point that feels like your curse is not oh you have to see these people that you love leave you. Your curse is that you are stuck on your own on an island and you go fucking stir crazy. It can't be too much, though, right? Like, you can't have one every day. Uh-huh. I feel because... like every couple of decades would maybe be, like, the, the the way to extract the most emotional torment. Probably. Which is what we're speculating on, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. We're, we're putting ourselves in the godly position here. But <laughs> either, no matter how you slice it, Leo is breaking that pattern because, like you said, he is coming, like, two years later. Two years later, and he's also a jackass. He's a he's such a shithead. He's like, oh, um, why'd you put your di- why'd you put your dining table where a perfectly good demigod could crash into it? He blows up her beach and then complains to her about it. It's God. <laughs> I I love this kid. I he's such an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> um. I also think. I like where this is going. I also think there are two other ways this could have gone that would have been very funny. Yeah. Which is A, uh, Calypso does actually just get him off the island in five minutes, and this is just like a weird thing that happened in Leo's afternoon. That'd be really good. Or Leo kills Percy's ex-girlfriend by mistake by crashing his <laughs> helicopter into her. <laughs> That's a bit too fucked up. I don't know. I think it, No, but I think it, it would be funny if he didn't know that was what he did and he only found out when he mentioned it to Percy later. <laughs> And Percy, like, what, kills him? <laughs> yeah, he does this the force choke thing again. This is, like, this is like Game of Thrones, Percy Jackson, you're conjuring. <laughs> I, I do want to talk about, like, how Percy... Percy's view of Calypso versus Leo's view of Calypso. Yeah, actually, maybe Percy didn't give that much of a shit, given what we learn later in this chapter. This sucks. Or, I don't know. This is, like, what the fuck is wrong with you, Percy? Like... Percy apparently told Leo, and I guess probably other people... No, he told Annabeth, who told other people, who eventually told Piper, who told Leo. Okay, this is how it goes. You're right. This is how it Mm -hmm. it always goes. But I guess just the way that Leo says it, 
that he had met a goddess who'd gotten a major crush on him and wanted to stay, but eventually she let him go. That really does make her sound kind of villainous. Absolute fucking... I, cause I, I, I kind of understand, like, if, cause it specifies that Percy only mentioned this to Annabeth, and it was Annabeth who told everyone else. Right, right. And if Percy was telling this story to Annabeth, he may edit out the part where he reciprocated. Uh, yeah. But taken on its own, it does make him sound like kind of a, a complete, a, a dog, a real dog well, of a bloke. Yeah, right, he's a... But... <laughs> <laughs> a real dog of a bloke. <laughs> I like your charming Britishisms. Um, but but it does I still get the vibe that Percy must have talked to Leo about it at some point because on the next page he's like, yeah, Percy's Oh yeah. had said that like she was a real awesome girl. She was real sweet. It's <laughs> like <laughs> Come on, man. I, I mean, I assume that he was looking back on it with kind of like rose-tinted glasses and just being like, ah, Calypso, that, that lost love of mine. That makes that makes Percy saying, like, he hadn't even thought about her that much, like, all the worse. Like, he, <laughs> it makes him seem like such a shithead. This is Wait, like the yeah, because per- that, that means that he... Oh, I... Hmm... Because I was going to say it means that, like he brought her up, but that also means that it, that didn't also me- occur to him to like check on her. But the only time he could have told Leo is in the past like two weeks. Yeah, yeah. He hasn't had a ton of opportunity, but he there was a period of time where he could have done something and didn't. Oh, absolutely. Why is every man in Calypso's life a jackass? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I I guess I, it's it's been a while since I've read like since I've read this chapter, but what, so let, let's think back. Why did Percy like Calypso so much? Like, what was her, his view of her? I think a lot of it was just because she, like, nursed him back to health. Yeah. That, that like she was a big move part of it. I remember that it, it feels like the vibe with it was that, like, she was pretty and sweet, right? Uh-huh. And that, that, that bit works for, like, a one-chapter-long romantic tragedy. Yeah, yeah. But Leo likes her because she... Get, but, you know, in, in contrast to Percy, Leo likes her because she gets a bit dirty. That is what kind of... Leo brings out that side of her. Like, as soon as, as soon as he ends up here, he instantly brings out, like, a much more combative side of Calypso that we haven't seen before. Which I think is... It's good that she, like... She is one of the best one-off characters is brought back and is immediately being given like new dimensions instead of just playing the hits. Yeah, I mean completely agree. I just think I I think that is a really I think that's really good. I think that's well done. I also just think it's funny that like we get the contrast of like well, you know, she's not all she's not all frills and dresses. She gets her hands a bit dirty. She does planting. <laughs> She she do be using that trowel, and Leo is specifically worried about sneaking up on her in case she stabs him with the trowel. I I, I was hoping she would a little bit. He, he kind of has it coming. But it's funny, though, because that also is, like, this is a common thing in this series, because also, like, oh, she'll get her hands dirty is also why Percy likes Annabeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leo has, like, a weird relationship with, like, mythological women. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, like, his entire life is defined by them, basically, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
he's basically just always encountering some sort of mythological woman who will like either decide his fate or try to kill him or like i or will like i guess here this is a different dynamic because it seems more like they are going to do the enemies to lovers thing a little bit it's yeah they are it's not you know gaia sets his mum on fire in order to specifically push him down a certain path or Hera pretends to be his aunt to kind of uh, push him to developing his powers it's they, these two people are stuck together and they're gonna have to learn to live with it it's fan fiction right like not <laughs> it's to, a little not bit fan fiction it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't mean to denigrate it that way, but like, this is a very common fan fiction trope, uh, and Rick Riordan is using it. I, I think probably effectively. Like, I guess I haven't read the rest of the chapters, but so far, pretty effectively. I like. I'm. I do think this is an interesting relationship being built up, and I feel like Leo doesn't have a lot of put people who push back on him like this. Hmm. Like. It, there there's i don't know this is this is a slightly different dynamic than leo has with any other character yeah because it's there's nobody who really like spars with leo like mostly it's just like they get sick of his shit and tell him to shut up whereas calypso does seem to be like they are like fighting back and forth so that's that's I, I i do like that because it's not just bringing out different dimensions of calypso who is as as of now like kind of a character uh but not not in the series as such you know mm-hmm. uh but it's also highlighting uh leo a bit more uh so it, it it works really well for both of them i also just think it's very funny that like calypso was so defined in her previous appearance by like being like quiet and kind and sad Mm-hmm. and like just the speed with which leo gets rid of that is like just a credit to how weird his character is in a good way yeah i mean he's the guy who breaks the ice by being a class clown and he kind of does that here <laughs> he does even if it's even if it's in a super abrasive kind of shitty way <laughs> i i'm interested in the ending of this because this ends on sort of a a, a dissonant not dissonant but like a sort of more internal note for leo uh where uh, Calypso says, like, the gods are mocking me by sending you. And that's kind of a mysterious statement, I feel like. Like, it feels like it has greater implications than just, like, she is, you know, she doesn't like him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it's it's the Hephaestus thing, right? You think so? Well, yeah, because Hephaestus is, like, the Olympian she talks to the most. And, like, given, given his entrance, I don't think it would be, like, too much of a leap for her to figure out that that's who he is. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But that leads to sort of a moment of reflection for Leo where he gets mad. He, like, specifically compares himself to Jason. Mm -hmm. uh, And things like, well, if Jason had been here, if Jason had washed up here, she would have been all over him. Uh, But, of course, like, she wouldn't like me. And I feel like there's a lot of stuff tied up in that. Yeah, this gets back to um, uh, what we saw with, uh, what was her name? The, uh, The woman whose, like, appearance you forget from the start of Mark of Athena. Oh um, oh oh man oh it's been that's it's been a while since that wow it feels oh like no it we forgot about her nemesis no it was the same chapter she showed up in the same set of chapters as nemesis but it wasn't nemesis right it was the one in narcissus it was echo echo that was it yeah that like those chapters we got saw a lot of leo um like we saw a lot of his like insecurity about like you know not being as like conventionally heroic or attractive as someone like jason 
So it's good to see that kind of coming back up here in a less like comedic way. Yeah, yeah, because that chapter is all about highlighting like you know Leo ain't con- isn't conventionally attractive, but he he can still s- like strut his stuff, right? He can yeah he, he's ca- he can be confident or he can at least fake confidence, mm-hmm. uh, and that could like you know that could get him a crowd of nymph followers or whatever (laughs) uh but this is definitely going to his insecurities he sees jason as like more he sees jason either as someone who is more attractive than him or else as someone who is like would be viewed as more attractive than him and i think that's tied up in a lot of things of like like a lot of complicated dynamics with regards to like jason is the like archetypal like white blonde guy right Uh uh-huh and he's like the the rugged handsome guy also and and he's like, like the the guy who leo is closest to on the ship and he has a girlfriend and everyone else on the ship is in a romantic relationship yeah yeah i mean yeah this is leo the seventh what wheel back again mm-hmm. uh and i i like the i like that we end on that sort of more reflective note so i'm i i i have high hopes for the rest of these chapters uh, of ano gigia however long that may be yeah I also, I need to do some housekeeping very quickly, which is just, I, I mentioned in the spoiler chat in the Discord a while ago that I'd gotten, I'd gotten some spoilers about um, Leo and Calypso ending up, like, in the same situation, and I'm pleased to report that since that happened, I've forgotten what the actual substance of the spoilers I read was. Well, that's good. I mean, I guess we've, <laughs> I mean, we've fulfilled it, right? They're, they're in the same chapter together, so. They are. That, but I think I saw something more specific, but I don't remember what it was. Uh, you saw that he destroyed her table, probably. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I we don't have to consider things like that. What we can do is in the episode. Before we do that, though, this Percy Jackson character is not so set. Ah, uh, which could it be? Did I pick first last week? I think I picked first last week, and I took the good one. All right, I'll go this week. Uh, let's see. I mean... I guess I want to give it to like Aklas, right? Uh-huh. I like this is this woman is transgender to me. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why. Just like I don't know why. This the, she has vibes. Uh-huh. She's suffering. <laughs> <laughs> She's long suffering. Uh who do you pick? Uh I'll go with uh Knight. Ooh, how? What? What are you saying? Uh I think I I also think that um uh desperately trying to think of a way to justify this uh you don't want to give the nod to calypso oh i could also give the nod to calypso maybe calypso has decided <laughs> maybe she's decided that she's uh not going to date any guys for a while she's doing some she's doing some experimentation and we we've talked about this before i think on the podcast like uh, calypso's fate of like being a lesbian who has to keep having these guys sent to her or whatever oh god we have god Truly, truly horrific. Leo Valdez is every lesbian's favorite boy. <laughs> he's the token straight. He's the token straight. I don't know. I guess maybe so. Yeah, yeah. He's he's like funny. He's like straight. He's like straight Leo. He's straight. You know, like how in Ace Attorney, there's like straight Larry who always shows up in every game. It's like, hey, it's straight Larry, and <laughs> that's 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 what this is like. Our intro and outro music is Supermaration by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. Our cover art is by Vera at Ensmith underscore in on Twitter. We are hosted by the Moonshot Podcast Network. 
Uh, you can find them at moonshotpods.com or goodfuckingpodcast.com. We are doing our April Patreon drive. You probably heard a promo for it at the beginning of the last few episodes in this one as well. Uh, but what just came out onto the feed was a book talk that Jane and a bunch of the other hosts uh, from Moonshot's like various uh, book discussion shows had. Oh, hell yeah. I didn't realize that was out. Yeah, that came out today. Uh, could you want to talk a little bit about that? Hell yeah, it's just, um, yeah, it's a little roundtable where we just, like, uh, take some questions about, like, how uh, our different podcasts, like, address, uh, like, approaching the books that we read, like, how we divvy up stuff, uh, kind of what thematic things we go into them uh, wanting to learn about. Uh, And I thought it was really interesting to hear from, like, everyone else who, because there's quite a few book podcasts on Moonshot, so you should listen to those also. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Not only that, and, and so if you want to hear that, you can go and subscribe to the Moonshot Patreon. If you want to find us, though, you can go to Unwise Girls on Twitter or Tumblr or co-host or basically anywhere. Uh, we on Twitter have links to our social medias, our Discord server, our email. We will have updates when we post episodes and we have visual companions when needed. If you want to support us, you can go to your podcast app of choice, leave a five-star rating and a review. You can uh, tell a friend about us. We love when you do that. Or <laughs> you can do a bit of monetary support. And speaking of Patreons, go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash unwisegirls, where for a dollar a month, you get the Discord role of Camp Counselor. For $3 a month, you get the Discord role of Friend of Bacchus, as well as all of our bonus content. If you would like to listen to the latest bonus episode on the Unwise Girls Patreon feed, uh, where Jacqueline's weird ice cream binary opinions are eviscerated live on the air, uh, hit up the Unwise Girls Patreon. And if you want to support <laughs> us for $5 a month, you get the Discord role of Venus's Chosen, all of our bonus content, and a special thank you at the end of every episode. Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank Simcoe, I Love Sammy's Great, uh, Danny, Tana, Mercy, Veronica, Friend, Bree, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode. See you next week, Camp Half Blood. See you next week, Camp Half Blood. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
to prove that love can conquer all on the Three Little Words Podcast, only on the Moonshot Network.